Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I lived in New York City and Manhattan all my life, okay? So, you know, my views are a little bit different than if I lived in Iowa, perhaps. I am pro-choice in every respect and as far as it goes. I am pro-life. Everybody knows I'm pro-life. But you still, I just believe in choice. There has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah. I've been told by some people that was a older line answer. Welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says he feels like he was in the military during Vietnam, Donald Trump. Gee, thanks for that feeling of service, Mr. Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Since his campaign took off last fall, everyone's been wondering when Trump would finally go too far. Some people thought it would be his attack on Megyn Kelly or when he targeted John McCain by saying, quote, I like people who weren't captured or that time he called Mexicans rapists and murderers, or when he called for a ban of Muslims entering the country. None of that did it. But last week, it seemed something finally did. Trump's personal attack on a Mexican-American judge who was hearing the class-action fraud suit against Trump University. Speaker of the House Paul Ryan called Trump's attack on Judge Curiel the definition of a racist comment. Of course, Ryan endorsed him anyway. But why was it attacking a judge that finally started to stir outrage on the right? I think it was the way that attack combined Trump's racism with his disrespect for the legal system and the whole idea that we're a nation of laws. Those comments were a perfect distillation of the threat to fundamental American values that Trump represents. To talk about Trump's legal philosophy, such as it is, I'll be joined by Adam Liptak, the Supreme Court correspondent of the New York Times. But first, let's do the tweets. 
Good news is that my campaign has perhaps more cash than any other campaign in the history of politics because I stand 100% behind everything we do. I'm always on the front page of the failing New York Times. But when I won the GOP nomination, I'm in the back of the paper. Very dishonest. A former Secret Service agent for President Clinton excuriates crooked Hillary Clinton, describing her as erratic and violent. Bad temperament for the president. Crooked Hillary Clinton has zero natural talent. She should not be president. Her temperament is bad. And her decision-making ability, zilch. I, we, broke the all-time record for most votes gotten in a Republican primary by a lot. And with many states left to go. Thank you. My guest today is Adam Liptak. He's the Supreme Court correspondent for the New York Times. He was actually the lawyer for the New York Times before that, I believe. Isn't That's it? right. Am I remembering right? Yeah. You are. So, Adam, you wrote a corker of an article just a few days ago that was the lead story in the paper about Donald Trump on the law. And I just want to read the lead of the article. You said Donald Trump's blustery attacks on the press complaints about the judicial system and bold claims of presidential power collectively sketch out a constitutional worldview that shows contempt for the First Amendment, the separation of powers, and the rule of law. I want to talk about each of those things because there's sort of three separate issues there, even though they're all rolled together under his sort of legal view of the world. The first is contempt for the First Amendment. What are the, what are the primary indicators of that? Well, the main thing is, I mean, it, it's one thing to attack the press. That's a First Amendment issue in its, on its own right. He's, he's allowed to say whatever he wants. But moving into intimidation and suggesting that he's going to sick regulatory authorities on Jeff Bezos, the owner of the Washington Post, because he doesn't like what the Post writes about him, or saying uh, naively as it happens, but nonetheless uh, earnestly, that he wants to loosen the libel laws, which is not something a president can do, you know, collectively shows somebody who really doesn't value free expression, which, you know, as you know, is one of the foundational concepts of, of the American legal system. What, when he says he would loosen libel laws, what, what does he think he's talking about there? How does he think a president could loosen the libel laws? So, so let me make a general point first. Uh, it's hard to know what he's saying a lot of the time. He's saying stuff that doesn't actually parse very well if you're trying to apply conventional legal analysis to it. But what I think he's saying is that uh, the press has too much protection under uh, Supreme Court's uh, decision in New York Times against Sullivan that makes it very hard for public officials and public figures to sue for libel. They, they have to meet an extraordinarily high standard, and that frustrates him because he wants to be able to bully people into silence. So how does, as a member of the press and someone writing about this, how is the press supposed to react when a politician is challenging them, not just in the conventional way that I don't like what you write, I was unhappy with this story, this was unfair, this was wrong, but I want to challenge your rights to do what you do. I mean, this story you wrote seemed like a pretty strong pushback. I think... And, and I should say that uh, writing the story wasn't my idea. It was a good idea by an editor here named Jonathan Weisman, who essentially said, 
let's take him at his word. Let's not treat him as a buffoon, but let's treat him as somebody who has said a series of, of things that you can write down and have legal experts analyze and see what it adds up to. And I think that's what journalism ought to be. It shouldn't be meeting bluster with snark. It should be meeting bluster with taking it at face value, subjecting it to analysis, and seeing what you come up with. And I think one reason the story had a big response was that when you do that, and, and when you ask people, I talked really only to people who were right of center, only people who would ordinarily be expected to support the Republican nominee. And to a person, they were deeply disturbed by what they were hearing about legal issues out of Donald Trump's mouth. Talk to me about this phrase, the rule of law. I feel like that's been on everybody's lips, but not for that long. The rule of law is sort of a phrase that's maybe migrated from legal culture to popular culture. What is the rule of law? The, the rule of law is the idea that everyone is subject to neutral legal principles that are, uh, apply to you and me and the next guy and that it's enforced by a judicial system that we hope is uh, is independent and fair. And here, too, not entirely clear to me why this was the issue, although clearly it's an important issue. The tipping point was Trump's suggestion that a judge born in Indiana, but whom he called Mexican, couldn't rule fairly in his case. And worse than that, he seemed to issue a threat against the judge that come November, he would start a civil suit against the judge. And there was a powerful suggestion also that he wouldn't abide by a judicial judgment. And once you get into that territory, you, you really are questioning the rule of law. I, I agree with you. You never know what straw is going to break the camel's back. And this sort of seems to have been it. And I think what you're pointing to is, is that it combines horrifying things. It combines Trump's racism. And Paul Ryan said yesterday that this was a racist attack with – his disrespect for the rule of law, going after an individual. And, you know, when you combine all of these things, it's someone with a pretty tough stomach who doesn't pull back and say, whoa, this is dangerous. Right. And it's one thing to have a bully as a private citizen running around saying things and even suing people. It's another to imagine that bully having all of the power of the American presidency so that people who earnestly think that Barack Obama has violated the Constitution by using executive power too much, nonetheless say, listen, we, we don't like Obama, but we're terrified of Trump along those same dimensions. So in 230 years almost of constitutional government, we have surely had presidents who defied the courts, defied the rule of laws. What precedents can we look to to try to think about how some of this might play out in practice? I mean, imagine, thought experiment, Trump becomes president and doesn't like a Supreme Court ruling or goes after a judge. When, when has that happened before? Well, the, the prime example people tend to point to is, uh, is, is Andrew Jackson's refusal to enforce a Supreme Court decision in a dispute between the state of Georgia and the Cherokee Nation. He was said to have said, although probably apocryphal, John Marshall has made his decision, let him enforce it. Aside from that, there are presidents who had real problems with individual decisions, you know, Lincoln and Dred Scott. You had... Uh, Roosevelt trying to pack the court because he was unhappy with uh, with how it was dealing with his New Deal programs. But you don't, with the exception of the Jackson example, you don't have a stark example of a sitting United States president willfully disobeying a court order. And then layer on top of that, that at least those disputes that I was just sketching out were not about personal interests. They weren't about Trump University. 
they were about conceptions of, of, the, of the constitutional order. So they were at least principal disputes with the court about what the court's power is as opposed to the executive's. Here you have Donald Trump, you know, not standing up for presidential power, but standing up for a, a business that's been accused of fraud. But our history is heartening here, isn't it? Because presidents who have challenged the authority of the courts have generally been the losers over time. Right. And another way to think about it, you have, uh, you know, Justice Breyer, who was on the losing end of Bush v. Gore, says Bush v. Gore was a fabulous example of how people respect the rule of law because the day after Bush v. Gore was decided, and again, he was on the losing side, there weren't riots in the street. There was not a suggestion that there'd been some kind of coup. There was a calm acceptance that the Supreme Court had spoken, and in our system, they have the last word. We however heard. wrong, however wrong they might have been, it was the last word, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Some of this stuff raises the question of whether he passed civics, whether he even understands how our, our system works. I mean, does Donald Trump understand what the Supreme Court does? No, I mean, I just picked a couple of examples in my piece about really just the most fundamental sixth grade misunderstandings he has. He talks about judges who sign bills, you know, where, where, of course, those are legislative acts. He talks about how he wants to appoint people to the Supreme Court who will investigate Hillary Clinton's email scandal. And, of course, the Supreme Court adjudicates cases. I mean, there are systems in the world where judges investigate. Ours is not one of them. So you do have you do have the sense that it's it's almost unfair to hold him to the standards of, of a constitutional worldview because he is apparently ignorant of the most fundamental legal concepts. So Trump did come out with a list of, of names of people he might appoint to the Supreme Court. I mean, even that was a little unprecedented, right? I'm not – candidates don't usually say here is who, here are who my Supreme Court nominees would be. That's right. So it shows that uh, he wants to appeal to the uh, conservative legal establishment. He wants to get those folks on his side. They're not on his side. Even as the Republican political establishment is more or less lining up behind him, the uh, conservative legal establishment is very wary of him. But they have embraced this list of, uh, of potential Supreme Court nominees. Uh, people I talk to say it's a very good list. They're very happy with it. But they don't know for sure that they can trust Trump to actually pick one of those people. And I think Trump himself has said that it's not uh, a categorical list. He's not saying for sure. Uh, that he's going to pick one of those people, could be somebody else. I also have the sneaking suspicion that if you were to ask Donald Trump why he picked uh, Diane Sykes to put on that list, he couldn't give you a detailed answer. You can treat Trump's rise as a panic moment or a teaching moment. It's a panic moment if you feel he threatens the system. It's a teaching moment if you think it's a good chance to have discussions like this about how our system really works. We'll know in November what kind of moment it was. <laughs> Adam Liptak is the Supreme Court correspondent for The New York Times. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Dopey, Henry Malofsky, and Crooked, Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Lion, Steve Lichtai, and Dishonest, Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Sometimes known as Pocahontas. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Obama says a wall at our southern border won't enhance our security. Wrong. And yet he now wants to build a much bigger wall fence at the White House.